Welcome to 40 Days of Prayer. I want to encourage you to get out your message notes. Uh, I don't know about you, uh, but one of the things that really bugs me is when people call on the phone and they don't identify themselves. You know what I'm talking about? They just start talking, and it's like you're supposed to know who this is. And when you don't know who's on the other end, it just changes your whole conversation, right? I mean, you don't know how to talk to them. Is this the Pope or the president or the pizza guy? You're, you're just not sure. If you don't know someone, you're going to be more reserved. You're going to be more formal. I can always tell when I run into someone in public who's part of the Southwinds family, say I'm like at Rayleigh's and I see him, they'll go, hey, Pastor Mike, how's it going? But if I run into someone who has, you know, encountered me maybe somewhere outside of church, they're in the community, they may say, well, hello, Reverend Nolan. <laughs> and it's like, you clearly do not know me if you're calling me Reverend. See, what you know about someone, it determines how you talk to them. And the same is true with God. I want you to write this down on your message notes. Your understanding of what God is really like shapes everything in your life, including how you pray. You see, nothing influences your life more than how you view God. And many, many people have misconceptions about God. Some of you here right now, you see God as cranky. He's always irritable. He's always moody like your dad used to be. Nothing was ever good enough. Some of you, you see God like a cop sitting by the side of the road just waiting for you to break a rule. Some of you, you think if something is fun, well, God surely is going to be opposed to it. There's a lot of misconceptions about God. And there's a lot of people in our culture who, who think that we get to decide what God is like. They'll, they'll say things such as, well, I like to think of God as. And isn't it amazing when they fill in the rest of that sentence how much God pretty much agrees with everything that they think? I want to tell you something in case you don't know. This is reality. God is God. You are not. And therefore, you don't get to determine what God is like. Now, I cannot stress strongly enough how absolutely essential it is that you and I come to know the real God. Because wherever and whenever you misunderstand God, it will impact your relationship with him. And nowhere else is this as important, I think, as it is in prayer. If you don't have a good understanding of who God is biblically, you will have a difficult time praying in any meaningful way. Prayer will be a duty. You'll avoid prayer except in emergencies. You won't get how other people really seem to enjoy praying, and it'll feel to you like God just never really answers your prayers. We need to know who God really is, what God is really like. There's a famous quote from the scholar, pastor, theologian, A.W. Tozer. I've, I've shared it with you before. I want to share it again. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We tend, by a secret law of the soul, to move toward our mental image of God. So what is God really like? God has many characteristics. In his book, Systematic Theology, Wayne Grudem, who uh, was one of my Ph.D. professors, he lists 
what theologians call God's attributes. And the Bible tells us about what uh, some people call the omnis, uh, these characteristics of God, that God is omnipotent, all-powerful, that, that God is omniscient, that means he knows everything, that God is omnipresent, means he is everywhere at the same time. The Bible tells us that God is love, that God is holy, that God is just, he is faithful, and he is kind, and he is wise. God is beautiful. There are so many things we can say about God that the Bible reveals about him, but today we're going to focus on one crucial aspect of God's character, and that is his goodness. The goodness of God, you see, is the basis of all prayer. If God is not good, you have zero reason to pray. Psalm 100, verse 5 says, For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. God is good. Psalm 145, verses 7 through 9 says, They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. See, the only reason there is any good in the world is because God is a good God, and God is the creator, and his goodness is in the universe because he made the universe. If there is no God, then there is no good, no right or wrong, no good nor bad. A lot of people ask the question, well, why is there evil in the world? And that's a very complex discussion. But I think at the end, it boils down to the reality that God does not force his creation to do good. He gives us freedom. And the Bible teaches, as we all observe, that human beings have chosen evil. The Bible calls this sin. And sin has broken everything, including God's creation, which was all good, perfect, when God created it. Honestly, I would say in the end, uh, evil is easier to explain than good. I mean, those who want to use evil to deny God, they have no good explanation for why there's good in the world. If all that is is matter and random chance, if all that is is only the survival of the fittest, then why is anything good? And think about this. Why do we long for good? Why do we think there is such a thing as good if there's not some standard somewhere that's absolute above all other things? Why do we get angry? when there isn't good around us. And the best answer for the existence of goodness is the existence of God, a good God. God is good, we like to say around here. God is good, and all the time, God is good. Now today what I want to do is show you four realities about prayer that are true because God is good Because the more you understand and you trust in God's goodness, the more you will pray, the more you will enjoy prayer, the more prayer will be a delight and not a duty. In fact, I would say to you, anytime prayer becomes boring to you, anytime you find it's like this ritual, it's a duty that you just have to go through, it's probably because you have forgotten in some way how good God is. You say, well, I don't think I just love God enough. Well, that's not your problem. Your problem is that you don't understand how much God loves you, how good God is to you. Everything in your life is a gift of God's goodness. And so we, we pray 
out of that. If you know that God is good, it changes everything about how you pray. So four things. Uh, First one is this. Because God is always good, number one, God's plans for my life will always be good. Everything God does is good because God is good. And because God is good, that means his plans for my life will always be good. In Jeremiah 29, 11 and 12, God says, I know what I am planning for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you, not plans to hurt you. I will give you hope and a good future. Then you will call my name. You will come to me and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You see the connection here between God's plans for your life and prayer? You know, we say this around here quite a bit, uh, and just be reminded, you're not an accident. Uh, There's a purpose for your life. I mean, your parents, they may not have planned you, but God did. God did. God has never made anything without a purpose. Therefore, he has a plan for your life, and we know that's true because he loves you. We know that's true because he is good. You say, well, how do I know God's plan? Well, here's an answer to contemplate. God's plan for your life is revealed and realized through prayer. The more you pray, the more you will understand God's plan for your life. Now, listen to this. David says in Psalm 31, 19, how great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. Everything good in your life is a gift of God. And David says, don't miss this, that God has stored up goodness for those who fear him. That means that God has intentionally planned goodness for you in advance, that he has intentionally planned the blessings that he has for you for all the rest of your life. Why? Because he's a good God. He lavishes his goodness, David says, on those who come to him for protection. And that's describing prayer, coming to God for protection. David says he blesses his people. Why? So that the watching world can see. In fact, that's why we're doing 40 days I want God to bless your life before the watching world. But, you know, you can miss the blessings God has for you. James 4.2 says you do not have because you do not ask. God reveals his plan for your life through prayer. And prayer shows you God's blessings. So don't miss those blessings just because you're not asking See, God is telling us, he wants us to get it. Everything I do in your life is good. I don't have bad plans for you. I'm not going to hurt you. And sometimes we feel like God's trying to get even with us, right? Some of you say that, God, I think God's just trying to get even with me. God doesn't ever try to get even with his kids. See, God says, I'm a good God. I have good plans for your life. Other people may have bad plans for your life. You may make a lot of bad plans for your life, right? but God only makes good plans. You say, well, not everything in my life is good. Well, God didn't promise that everything in your life will be good. He says, I have good plans for you. We live on a broken planet. I mean, everything on this planet is broken. Your body is broken, have you noticed? Your mind is broken. It doesn't always work the right way. It doesn't think the right way all the time. Relationships are broken. Government is broken. Amen? I mean, 
The weather is broken. Things don't work the way God planned it to be. Everything on this planet is broken. God did not promise perfection. Perfection comes when we get to heaven. And so we should not expect heaven on earth. In heaven, there will be no sorrow or sadness or sickness or suffering. But here on earth, there's brokenness. But God says to his people, even in the midst of all that brokenness, I have a good plan for your life. He says, even when you make bad choices, he says, I'm greater than your choices. God says, I can even turn your dumb decisions into something Good, a good planning. What a good God he is. Amen. He can turn crucifixions into resurrections. He's good. He's good. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. See, this promise is not for everyone in the world. Everything works together for good, Paul says, for those who love God for those who trust him with their life, for those who say, God, I want your plan, your purpose for my life. And it doesn't say all things are good. It says God works all of these things together for good, even the bad, even the bitter. You know, when you make a cake, you've heard this illustration before. I've used it. The individual ingredients don't taste good, right? Flour by itself doesn't taste good. I mean, anybody here like to eat raw flour? If you do, you're weird. Um, <laughs> raw eggs by themselves don't taste good. Even Rocky didn't like the way they tasted. You know, uh, Vanilla, baking powder, Crisco, they don't taste good by themselves, but you put them all together and we get something called batter. I like that. That's good. God works all things together for our good. Why? Because he's good. See, the more you pray, the better you will know your purpose. And the better you know your purpose, the more God can use everything in your life, even the stuff people plan against you. You remember the story of Joseph? It's at the end of the book of Genesis. Joseph, uh, his brothers don't like him because he was kind of a spoiled brat. That's the way the story went. And they sell him into slavery, but God uses all the bad things in his life. God raises him up, and he eventually becomes second in command in Egypt, and a lot of people's lives are saved. And in the last chapter of Genesis, Genesis 50, verse 20, he tells his brothers, Joseph tells his brothers this. He says, you planned to harm me, but God planned it for good. He planned to do what is now being done. He wanted to save many lives. Sometimes we suffer for the benefit of others. That's actually what Jesus did for you, isn't it? When he died on the cross, he wasn't paying for his sins. He didn't have any. And sometimes, like in Joseph's case, God takes the bitter and he makes the world better. What happened to you may not have been good, but God can use it for good. Why? Because God is good and God can bring good out of bad. I mean, anybody can bring good out of good. Only God can bring good out of bad. The more you trust in the goodness of God, the happier your life really is going to be. Romans 5.3 says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. Now, you first read that, it sounds impossible. I mean, how do you rejoice in problems and trials? Well, the answer is in that phrase, did you see it? For we know. 
Joy depends on what you know, not what you go through. I mean, I see this all the time as a pastor. You take two people, they're in the same circumstances. One of them is filled with joy, the other's devastated. Why? What you know makes a difference. And we can rejoice when we know that God is good and God uses even trials for our good. Paul points out here that trials help us develop endurance. You've heard it said that God is more interested in our character than in our comfort. And he develops our character in problems and trials. We don't like this, but it's true. We grow stronger as we go through trials and we pray and we depend on God. So God is good. He uses everything in our lives for our good. In fact, why don't you write this down? Everything God does in my life, he does for my good. Are are you living according to that truth? God is not trying to get even with you. God is trying to grow you. Everything he does, he does for my good. Why? Because he is good. So that's the first thing we learn because God is good. And I'm just telling you, if you get that and live by that, it will transform the way you pray. Second, because God is always good, God always gives me what I need, not what I deserve. You understand, don't you, that if we got what we deserved, we would not even be here. Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12 says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Anybody want to say praise God right now? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I mean, I love that he says as far as the east from the west because there's no end to east and west. You can't ever get there, right? That's how far God takes your sins away. He wipes them out. There's a great verse in the prophet, uh, prophecy of Micah. Micah seven nineteen says that God takes our sins and he puts them into the deepest sea. They're gone. They're gone. You see, if God has forgiven you, maybe you should consider forgiving yourself, some of you. I was thinking about King David, man after God's own heart, and yet think of what he did in his life. There was this time, you know the story, he commits adultery of Bathsheba. He then tries to cover up that sin by murdering her husband. Did David deserve to be forgiven murder and adultery? No, Did David deserve mercy for what he did? No. But David knows that God is good. And so David, when he repents, he goes to God for mercy. He asks for mercy. Here's what he prays, Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me. From my sin. The word in Hebrew, hesed, translated unfailing love, is sometimes translated goodness. And it certainly refers to God's goodness. So, what we see here is David is basing his request on who God is, not on what he deserves. He's appealing to God's goodness. God forgives you, not because you're good, but because he's good. Forgiveness is always based on God's goodness. And so when you sin and when you need forgiveness, he forgives because he is a good God. And this is really good. When God forgives you, he also welcomes you back. Aren't you glad? That's not how it works with people, right? 
If you hurt someone, you sin against them, and you ask them for forgiveness, they may not welcome you back. They may not want you back in their lives. And sometimes, yes, I know that may be a good idea. But with God, with God, when you sin and when you repent and when God forgives you, he brings you back. He welcomes you back. God says, even when you sin, because I'm good, I will forgive you and I will receive you. You know, I've been a pastor for about 35 years, and during that time, I've talked to many, many people. So I'm going to tell you this morning, I know your little secret. Some of you said, I think I'm going to leave right now. In fact, I'm, I'm planning to put it up on the screen in just a moment, right? No, I wouldn't do that. Why? Because I'm a good pastor. I wouldn't do that. Um, but what I know about every one of you is that one of your deepest fears is the fear of rejection. And you want people to like you. You're afraid of people rejecting you. You will do almost anything in your life to avoid rejection. In fact, some of you pretty much plan your life to avoid rejection. I, I don't do these certain things. I don't go to these certain places. You will limit your life because you fear rejection. It's this deep, deep fear you have. Many of us, because of that, we spend our lives kind of wearing masks. We pretend to be people we're not because we, we just think if, if I let people know who I really am, they probably won't accept me. Here's good news. Because God is good, God will never reject you. God will never reject you even when you sin against him. God will always receive you if you will turn from your sin and come back to him humbly. Listen to Psalm 27, verses 10 through 13. Again, this is David. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. And you know, I know many of you here, some of you have been rejected by your parents, your mom, your dad. They've turned away. But God says he'll never reject you. You can really hear the tenderness in that verse. You, everyone wants to be held close. God says, I will hold you close. David goes on to say, my enemies are waiting for me. Do not let me fall into their hands. In other words, some of us have enemies, and they're waiting for us to fall, waiting for us to fail. They're watching, and David says, in spite of that, yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness. While I am here in the land of the living, even when we fail, God gives second chances. Why? He's a good, good father. Because God is always good, this means something very important about prayer. When we pray, we don't need to be ashamed. Some of you don't pray because you're ashamed. When we pray, we don't need to be afraid to come before God. We can come and say, God, you know what I did. You know what I thought. You know that I blew it. But I know you are a good father. And I am trusting that it is who you are that matters. God is good. That changes the way that we pray. If we know God is good, we can be confident. We can be bold in Prayer. We can pray about anything we want to pray about, knowing that our Father, who is good, will hear. How do I know that God is good? Well, as we've seen, everything he does in the world is good. That means that his plans for our lives will be always good. He's good because he always gives us what we need, not what we deserve. Third truth about God's goodness, because God is always good, God sacrificed his only son for my good. 
You see, because God is always good, he doesn't just give me something good. He gives me his very best. He gives me his only son. And friends, that is the heart of the gospel. That is the good news. The king sacrifices himself for the peasants. Amen? See, the reason that I know the Bible is true rather than just a fairy tale is in the fairy tales, everybody else dies for the king. You protect the king at all costs. All the peons and peasants and slaves and soldiers, they die for the king. Everyone dies for the king. There's only one storyline in the world where the king dies for the people, and that's the gospel. This is what makes our faith different from every other storyline in the world. God says in the gospel, you have sinned and you deserve punishment, but I am a good God and I love you. I am a holy and a just and a righteous God, so sin must be paid for. So here's the deal. You can't pay for your sins, but I will. I will pay for your sins. I will send my son to earth to die for your sins. And this is the gospel, the king sacrificing himself for the peasants. It's the ultimate expression of love. Shepherd dies for the sheep. Jesus says in John 10, 14, and 15, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Do you see the connection here? Jesus is good. That's why he gives his life. Well, think about this. Shepherds don't die for sheep, right? I mean, if you had a flock of sheep, would you die for those sheep? No, they're just sheep. But God, the creator of the universe, he is good. So he dies for his people. John 15, 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Whenever you see the cross, remember that it is the greatest symbol of God's goodness. The perfect one dying for the imperfect ones. And why would God do that? The answer is because I am a good God. There's something mind-blowing about this above and beyond what I've just said. The New Testament makes it very clear that not only did Jesus die for our sins, but even more, at the cross, there is what is called the great exchange, where God takes his goodness and he puts that goodness inside of us. Theologians call this imputation. It's the imputation of God's righteousness. He takes away our sin. He gives us his righteousness, his goodness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus takes on himself, on his perfect, sinless, holy self, every sin, every rape, every murder, Every gossip, every lie, every molestation, and every abuse, every theft, and every tax evasion, every sin that's ever occurred anywhere in history, anywhere around the world. And he takes it and he becomes sin in the sight of God. And then unbelievably, he exchanges our sin for his goodness. Unbelievably, when God looks at you, if you are in Christ, he sees Jesus' goodness not your sin. Aren't you glad? Aren't you rejoicing for that? It's the great exchange, and it's the best news in the world. 
I mean, this is why we do what we do here at Southwinds. This is why we've been going through Next Gen. This is why uh, we teach hundreds of children and teenagers every week about Jesus and how to live for him and with him. It's why we send hundreds of thousands of dollars to mission work every year all around the world. It's why we do Celebrate Recovery and Care Nights. It's why we do small groups. Because everyone, everyone needs to know that there is an exchange available for him, them. You can leave behind your sin, your badness. You can have that replaced with God's goodness. You can know freedom and you can know purpose today. You can know hope and confidence for tomorrow. And one day when you die, and say one day I will die. We need to remind ourselves about that, don't we? One day when you die, if you are in Christ, it's not bad news. It's good news because you get to go to heaven and you get to be with God in fullness forever and ever and ever. Amen? Amen. See, God is so good. That's why all these things are true. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, well, what in the world does all this have to do with prayer, what you've been talking about these last few minutes? Well, the answer is simply this. Everything. (laughs) Everything. If you don't understand what I just said, you will not understand prayer. See, what God did at the cross makes prayer possible. I want you to look at Romans 8.32. Paul writes, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Do you see the logic? When Jesus Christ died for you on the cross, he solved your biggest problem. Do you get that? Any other problem you have in your life, any other problem you brought in here to this room today, and there's lots of problems here, amen? Any other problem you brought here is small by comparison. And if God loves you enough to die for you, don't you think that he loves you enough to help you with your health and with your family and with your bills and everything else you have in your life? There is nothing that you cannot bring to God in prayer because he is good. He loves you enough to answer your prayer. Fourth truth, because God is always a good God, and I just have to stop here and tell you ahead of time, you're not going to like this one, all right? Not going to like this. This is a hard one. Because God is always good, number four, God does not say yes to every prayer. The Bible never says that anything you ask for, everything you ask for, you get, no matter how self-centered or off base. God does not say yes to every prayer request. And we talked about this last week. No loving child ever gives a, uh, no loving parent ever gives a child everything they ask for. And God loves us too much to say yes to every prayer. But then some of you might be thinking, well, what about the stuff that I asked for that I, I know is good? I mean, I think I know it's good. And he says no. If you were here last week, you may remember that I I said God always answers every prayer. And and last week, I I kind of facetiously told told you God answers four ways. Yes, no, wait, and you got to be kidding me. (laughs) But actually, I'm going to give you another way to look at it, uh, another way to talk about how God does answer every 
prayer requests. He does. Every single prayer gets answered one of four ways, and here they are. You can write this down. Uh, When the request is not right, God says no. God says no. God says no to many of your requests, and let me just tell you right now, God does not owe you an explanation. He can give you one if he wants to, but he doesn't owe, owe you that explanation. And no is an answer. Remember that. You'll be able to use that this week with your kids. No is an answer. You'll like it then. Uh, Maybe the request is fine, but the timing isn't. And when the timing isn't right, God says, slow. The answer here is not yet. And there is a big difference between delay and denial. No and not yet aren't the same thing. And if you don't understand that, it means you're immature. See, kids don't get the difference between no and not yet. They don't want to wait. Maturity is when you learn that delay is not denial. And so sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says slow. And sometimes the request and the timing are right, but maybe you're not right. Maybe God wants to do something in your life first. And so when you're not right, God says grow. That's an answer. Maybe what you're asking for is fine, but God knows you're not ready to handle it. It's like you, 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 you don't give a kid really heavy luggage, a little kid heavy luggage to carry through the airport. They can't handle it. Sometimes God says you need to grow. Now, when the request is right, timing's right, you're right, then God says go. And that's when we like it, right? I'm going to give it to you right now, God says. And what you need to keep in mind is every one of these four answers are legitimate. And our good God is going to have good reasons every time. In Matthew 7, 9 through 11, Jesus says, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more... Will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Our good Father will never give us anything that harms us. But sometimes we don't really know what we're asking. You remember the time when James and John, who were two of the 12 disciples that Jesus called to travel with him, when James and John, their, their, their mommy came to Jesus. Remember that, that story? And, and she wanted to ask Jesus something. She said, Jesus, when you come in your kingdom, can my two boys, look at them, they're so talented, they're so intelligent, Jesus, you know, could, could you put them at your right and left hand? She made this request. You remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, Matthew 20, verse 22, you don't know what you're asking. See, your perspective is limited. You don't see the whole picture. You don't know what you're asking. And how many times... Is God saying that to you? I'm not going to give you this because you don't know what you're asking. It's not what you need. It's really not good for you. And so when God says no, can you learn to say, can you learn to pray, God, I trust that you are a good, good father, and I trust you more than I trust my own judgment. Can you pray that? It's easy to trust God's goodness when everything is good in your life, everything's working like you want it to. The test, the real test is, can you trust God when everything's bad? 
when life isn't working out, when it all seems dark, when you feel alone or afraid, when you're not seeing the change you want to see, you're not getting the answers you want to get, can you still say, God, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. This is the ultimate test of your faith, and God will test your faith thousands of times in life. And the question then will be this, do you trust your feelings more than you trust God? Or are you going to choose, despite what you feel, to trust truth, to trust what the Bible says about God, to trust in who God is in himself, that he is good, and he is good even when you don't get it, when you don't understand? Will you trust in God even when you don't get that job, even when you just got fired, even when your health is failing or your marriage is falling apart? Will you trust that God is good? Can you pray, God, I trust that you are good, and I trust that you have good plans for my life, even though I don't see it, and God, I'm going to keep on trusting you. Can you pray that? I heard Rick Warren recently tell about the time that his wife Kay uh, got breast cancer a few years ago, and he talked about how they faced those months of radiation and chemo and the prospect of her possible death they didn't know. And he asked, as he told this story, he asked this question, is God a good father when your wife's got cancer? And he answered, yeah. He then went on to talk about how his youngest son, Matthew, in 2013 committed suicide after struggling his whole life with mental illness. He said, when my youngest son lost his lifelong battle with mental illness that I had prayed every day that God would take away, and he takes his own life, and he makes a permanent solution to a temporary mood, is God a good father when your son commits suicide? And he answered, yeah, he's still good. Not everything that happens is good. The Bible never says that, but God is sovereign. The Bible does say that, and God is always working out his plans, and God is always, always good. See, the ultimate test of our faith is when we, like Job, lose it all. Lose the family, lose the crops, lose the business, even lose health. Job lost everything. And Job says, as we sang a few minutes ago, do you remember, you give and take away. You give and take away, but my heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. You're a good father, even if I lose everything. You see, that is maturity. That is where God wants to take every one of us. So we don't live our lives on feeling, but we live our lives on truth, trusting that God has a plan and that his plans are always good, even when I don't get it. And a lot of times it's hard, right? I mean, let's, let's just be honest here. A lot of times we pray for stuff and it just doesn't happen. Can we admit that? I pray, I'm gonna put my hand up first. You pray for things and God doesn't always give you what you ask for. Do you go ahead and raise your hand now just to say, hey, yeah. That's how it is in my life a lot of times. We've all suffered pain of some kind, and we've asked God to take that pain away, and God doesn't do it. Well, what does that tell me about prayer, that prayer doesn't work? No, I've seen prayer work too many times. God does answer. Does that tell me that God isn't good? No. 
God is good whether I'm in pain or not. Does that tell me that God doesn't care? Of course God cares. Does it tell me that I should give up on prayer because I don't get everything I ask for every time? No. Why don't you write this down? Prayer is not a painkiller that takes away all your pain. And sometimes I think we think that it is. God has not guaranteed us a pain-free life. The Bible never says God wants you to live pain-free. Actually, truth is, pain keeps us out of trouble many times. Can I get a witness? Truth is, if you didn't have pain in your life, you would be immature, incredibly self-centered. You would be a spoiled brat, right? See, it's not God's job It's not God's job to make our lives free from pain. It's not God's job to make every moment of our lives easy. So when I'm in pain and when I pray and when I don't get the answers that I want, should I give up? No. My job then is to pray and keep on praying and keep on trusting that God will give an answer because I know that everything he allows in my life is ultimately for my good, and so I will accept a no, and I will accept the slow, and I will accept a grow, and I'll rejoice when it's go. I'll just keep trusting. I'll just keep praying because I know that God is a good, good father, even when I'm in pain. It's kind of like this. If a doctor does surgery on you and cuts you open, what's going to happen In the aftermath, you're going to have pain. But if that surgery saves your life and then you're in pain while you're in recovery, do you say that's a bad, bad doctor? Of course not. He just saved your life. When God doesn't immediately end your pain, he may just be saying in that moment, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm still good and I'm going to be with you and I'm going to take you through that pain. I mean, I don't like pain. But the truth is, I know this. I don't really want to say it. The truth is, almost everything I've learned in life, I've learned because of pain. I haven't learned a whole lot through pleasure. I haven't learned a whole lot through success. Has anybody noticed that when we have everything in our lives going really well, we always start tending to think that we're doing it ourselves and we don't really need to pray and depend on God anymore? Why do we do that? I haven't learned that much from those things, but I've learned a lot through pain. And God is always more interested in making me like Jesus than he is in making me comfortable. And one day, it's all going to be pain-free. But that's heaven. And when you get there, it's going to be pain-free for a really, really long time. That's called eternity. You're going to experience comfort and peace and joy, everything that we all want to know right now. But right now, God is making us like Jesus so we don't get everything we ask for because if we never had pain in our lives, we would never grow, we would never be strong, we would never become mature. And you've probably heard this many times. You don't know God is all you need until God is all you've got. And that's when we realize God does everything for our good. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is just telling us. He is, he is playing at a whole nother level than we are, right? We're down here, 
And God's way up here because God is an infinite God. And God has so many plans for us that we cannot even comprehend. I heard John Piper say one time, at any given moment in your life, God is doing 1,000 things that you are not aware of. And we need to trust. And we need to live in that space knowing that God has thoughts and ways that are infinitely above our own. And because he is good, we can trust him. Finally, because God is always good, God invites us to live with him forever. God wants to show you his goodness. And it's not just while we're here on earth. God will show you his goodness one day forever throughout all eternity. Because God is always good, he invites us to live with him forever. Are you looking forward to that day? God invites us to live with him forever. Two passages, and I'll close. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. You see, heaven is an eternal encouragement because it never ends. And God gives us good hope. There's that word good that lasts forever. And that should encourage our hearts even when we're in pain. Because no matter how much pain we're experiencing, we can know it won't last forever. But heaven will. Joy will last forever. Hope will last forever. Peace and comfort will last forever. And this, knowing this, can strengthen you in every good deed and word. And then Psalm 23, verse 6. What an incredible promise. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Does that sound like a good plan to anybody else here right now? That's God's plan. One day, one day, if you are in Christ, one day you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But until that day, do not forget Do not ever forget that surely goodness and love, the goodness and the love of God is following you and is with you all the way, every step, every moment, until you get to God's house. Is that a good thing to know today for anybody? It's something we can rest on. God is good, and because God is good, we can trust him. And because we can trust him, we can pray. We can pray with passion. We can pray with power. See, again, if you're wondering why we're covering this during 40 days of prayer, it's because of this. I want to say it again. Until you are absolutely convinced that God is always good and that he never does anything bad in your life, until you understand God's goodness, you won't be able to pray with power and passion. See, but when you realize and it sinks into the deepest part of your being, God is for me, not against me, no matter how I feel. God is a good God and God has good plans for my life. God wants only good for me. God knows what will make me happy more than I know. He knows what I need better than I know it myself. When you get that, you're released to pray with power and passion. See, the goodness of God is the foundation of all praying. It's like I said last week, if you're struggling with 
with prayer, you need to focus more on God. Don't focus on your praying. You focus on God. The more we know God, the better we know God as he truly is, the better we'll be able to pray with passion and with power. Let me just ask you this as we close. What do you want to see happen in your life during 40 days of prayer? If you haven't already, I just want to encourage you to commit today to really praying during this 40 days period and to really learning how to pray, both in our small groups and on Sundays. Every week, we're going to be learning more and more about how to pray and how to pray effectively. And there is nothing more important in your life than this, because prayer is the way you tap into God's power and God's purpose and God's plan and God's peace and God's presence, all these things that you need. So start praying. And don't stop praying. And remember, you have not because you ask not. Let's pray as God's people and let's pray together. Would you bow your heads?